I am Inga Larissa. And I am Jennifer Rose. We're two whiskey pals serving a weekly whiskey podcast and rocking your whiskey world. Exploring the whiskies and distilleries of the world and meeting amazing people along the way. We'll be sticking our noses into our jams and all things whiskey. So fill your whiskey glass and join the fun. A warm whiskey sister's welcome. We are back listeners and apologies for the last minute notice about our extended holidays, but fear not, we are back. So how gen how gen <laughs> Rusty, how wenka how, how? howdy <laughs> so how was your break good sunny I still don't have a tan you know and I have a few more freckles and nice time with family so cannot complain what about you yeah very good I've been here then everywhere and also at home and yeah it's been very nice and relaxing. For sure. We've got to treat our listeners mean, keep them keen. Not really. We are grateful for <laughs> listeners. But yeah, we just had we had too much in our plate, too much sand in the microphones. But today we are back, as Inca says, and we're chatting all things Glen Scotia with a very special guest, our first guest of season three, Neil Ridley, no less. But before we chat with Neil and sample some drams, let's stick our noses into the latest whiskey news. Stick your nose in it. Obviously, our break was quite long, so a lot's happened since the previous episode. So let's just do a quick, like a little recap of some of the more important ones. So single malt Welsh whiskey was granted protected geographical indication GI status. The first spirit to gain the new UK accreditation that was launched post-Brexit. Make sure to catch up on our episode 47, where we chatted all things Welsh whiskey with Sean Williams. After 30 year break, the Lowland-based Rosebank Distillery is back in production as they filled their first cask in July. Exciting times. Very exciting. That's good news. Gordon and McPhail, the family-owned Scotch whisky company, made one of the most momentous decisions in its 128-year history. And the Elgin-based company began life as a greengrocers in 1895, and as the decades passed, it became known as an expert, independent bottler of Scotch whisky. Recently, Gordon and McPhail became a distillery in its own right. In 1993, it acquired the Brynromach Distillery in Forest, 12 miles from its shop in Elgin, and followed that with the construction of The Cairn, a second distillery in the Cairngorm National Park, which opened in 2022. With the company having effectively secured a pipeline of its own single malt thanks to two distilleries, it announced that from 2024, it will no longer fill casks with spirit from any other distillery other than their own. Good for them amazing yeah so basically that means they will stop being an indie bottler and i think maybe they will try to open more distilleries take over bed yes but obviously this change takes time and for the next several decades whiskies carrying the gordon mcphail name will continue to be released from the company's portfolio of rare and sought after malts but i wonder if the prices of the already existing bottles will begin to rise when people are likely to keep them as collector's item and obviously the availability will be limited so could cost more. Yeah, for sure. And I think their reputation is so good anyway. They're probably quite popular even before this news. Yes, for sure. 
I think some people took it quite hard on on social media and on LinkedIn. They were very thinking like, okay, this is big change for the whole indie bottle bottler industry. But I'm not sure if that's that dramatic, you know. Roll with the punches, flow with the changes, people. Come on. David Peckham has finally ended his partnership with Hate Club after a collaboration of nine years. And I checked that currently the Hate Club Instagram account is set to private. So we'll see what happens to the brand, whether they were going to get a new face or will they start production? I don't know. Oh, very mysterious of them. I wonder if this is all part of a cunning marketing plan or whether they're they're flapping and terrified at what's next. <laughs> Yeah, probably the latter. Simon Coughlin, co-founder of Brooklady Distillery, announced his retirement after 23 years with the Isla producer. Yeah, I wonder how that will affect Brooklady Distillery. Do you think it'll be like succession? I always kind of like the thought of like <laughs> yeah. whiskey succession, like behind the stills, there's like big meetings. Oh my God, that would be a good TV program. For sure. Blended Scotch whiskey, she was regal, has collaborated with luxury knitwear brand AGR to create three-piece capsule collection. This is so random. Is there luxury knitwear? I know. <laughs> the line aims to showcase the whiskey brand's goal to raise the game by uniting and celebrating football communities via cultural moments and collaborations. And the collection has been made mostly from upcycling dead stock fabrics from vintage football jerseys. Yeah, and the collection launched in mid-August. Just random. Knitwear, I always kind of think of like big chunky knit sweaters or the knitting machine jumpers I would wear in the 1980s that had sheep on them and stuff like that. So it's a knitwear company, but they use in vintage football jerseys for this collaboration. So it's not actually knitted. So I was like, how do you knit football jerseys? Exactly. I'm confused by that too, because you think it was like cottonwear brand or whatever viscose yeah wear brand (laughs) exactly anyway so there's been uh, many other news we're not gonna mention all of them but those were some of the fun ones the podcast The distillery, originally named Scotia, was built in 1832. But by 1835, it was one of almost 30 thriving distilleries in Campbelltown, which gave the region the title of whiskey capital of the world in the Victorian era. Like many distilleries in Scotland, Glen Scotia has had many owners along the way, and the distillery has been closed for a few years in the 1980s, and at times the production was minimal and the distillery was also short-staffed. Finally, there has been some light at the end of the tunnel and today Glen Scotia might be one of the smallest Scotch whiskey distilleries, but it's becoming one of the biggest names, no mistake. It certainly feels like its popularity has snowballed in recent years. And in 2014, the distillery was bought by Loch Lomond Group, who have invested heavily in the site by developing the brand, increasing the capacity, putting warehouses and developing a distillery visitor centre. Super exciting stuff. Glen Scotia Distillery still maintains much of its original design, including the Mashtan, Still Room and Dunnage Warehouse. Glen Scotia produces two styles of whiskey, so peated and non-peated, although I think you could probably say that they produce three styles because they also have lightly peated releases. And a peated whiskey is typically made over a period of six weeks per year. You know, I was trying to find the peat levels online, but I couldn't find anything. Oh, we'll need to ask when we go. Yeah, yeah. I think, I guess because they vary, they don't have like anything particular, but it would be fun to know specific releases. Yeah, definitely. 
Today, we have a special guest here to chat about the distillery and his whiskey journey. Neil Ridley is an award-winning professional drink writer, broadcaster, consultant, host and presenter with 15 years of drinks industry experience and like quality hat wear wearer. Can I just say that's a bit of a sight? Yes. He's always rocking a cool hat. He's been shortlisted four times as communicator of the year by the International Wine and Spirits Competition. Boom! And he's the fourth keeper of the quake in this podcast. I know, we've got a special guest, don't we? In the house. Neil Ridley. So welcome, Neil. We are very excited to have you join us today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been a, a really nice opportunity to uh, to chat with you guys. And um, I, I hear great things about the, the podcast. And uh, it's really finally very nice to sort of meet you in person, albeit virtually, I suppose. So. <laughs> yeah, hopefully in person soon. So I'm not really even sure where to start because you've done so much in the drinks world. There's just so much going on and you're so busy. So we're very honoured to have you. But like actually, in fact, the distilled one of your books, one of many, sure. is one of the dr- first drinks books that I bought when I wanted to get into the spirits world and before I started writing my blog. So, oh, that's great! Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that. Actually, that was um, yeah back in 2015, I think that came out, and that, that was one of the first sort of books that I'd done. And I'm really pleased at the reception that's had. Actually, it's it's uh, it was a, I guess, aimed at being a kind of a guide, a spirits guide to to all different spirits from whiskey, tequila, rum, gin, vodka, and then sort of different world spirits. And I think at the time there wasn't really anything particularly like that, actually, especially with a focus on craft spirits. So yeah, it, it did, yeah. did really. It's, it's great that, that it still gets a good reaction today, really. I read from somewhere that it's been translated into 14 different languages as well. So Yes, it has. Yeah, it's it's been a really fun book to do, actually, that one. And because um, sometimes, as I'm sure you're aware, it can be very challenging if you're, if you're coming into it for the first time, really, what to try, what not to try, uh, how to think about sort of drinking more intelligently, really. And that was that was the whole idea behind the book. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted it's it's been so well received. As this is a whiskey podcast, <laughs> maybe we should start by hearing about your personal whiskey journey and how it all began. Sure. Um, it's a long, long, long story, actually, but I, I'll, I'll sort of bring it into podcast form, actually, if that's if that's easier. <laughs> yeah, um, distilled. So, yeah, a slightly distilled version. Um, <laughs> so I was uh, back in, I, I guess, Probably my first intersection with with single malt, actually, with 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 sort of whiskey, I would really kind of or that moment that really got me excited about it. I guess I must have been about twenty two, so it's it's a few years ago now. It was one of those moments where I think you can almost pinpoint exactly. You'll you'll never forget this. It was that sort of moment where I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, what I was drinking. It was a Lafroy ten year old actually, and I, I was living uh, back in the Midlands of of, of England at the time. Um, I was in the music business, uh, so I was well, I was in bands actually at the time. I was playing in bands and doing touring around and being a musician. And I remember the first time um, trying Lafroy ten year old, and it was. It really was one of those mind-blowing moments of I really didn't didn't expect whiskey to be like this. I'd never had a smoky whiskey before. Mm-hmm. I'd had sort of blended scotches before, and I, I knew maybe a tiny bit about what whiskey was. But I had an evening one one time with some friends, and a few guys bought some different whiskies round. And I, I this Lafroy ten blew my mind. It was like the smokiness was it was so medicinal and. 
I wasn't quite sure if I liked it at first, but it was so challenging and so interesting. And I'd opened up so many kind of pathways to, to a different aspect of whiskey that I thought, I need, to, I need to know more about this. After that, I started to buy lots of different whiskies. I built a collection up and I moved to London to be in the music business. I was working uh, in, in a job called as an A&R man. So basically my job was to try and find new bands and make records for a record company. I worked for Warner Brother Records. It gave me a great opportunity to travel around. Uh, I was in sort of hotels all over the world and you come back from a gig and you'd have a, a single malt in the bar and try Japanese whiskey, Irish whiskey, Indian whiskey, all these different things. And at the time, I met a friend of mine who's now sort of a lifelong friend and, and uh, writing partner, Joel Harrison, uh, who was also in music, doing a similar job to me at another label. Um, so we, we used to sort of go off and have odd whiskies together in different bars if we happened to be going out seeing a band together. Yeah, it grew into this mad thing. And we, we sort of ended up leaving the music business back in 2007, this was, uh, starting a blog at the time where there really weren't that many blogs, but maybe two or three internationally. And it got very popular quite quickly. And from there, we started to write for newspapers and magazines and host sort of TV shows and write books and host events. And there wasn't really ever a moment where I thought, wow, this is this is now a career, really. It was a very natural, easy intersection into something that I love doing every day. I love that your journey involved your love of music and your shared passion of music and after gigs. That's the coolest into whiskey journey that I've ever heard. <laughs> it's you know, a very natural one as well. I think that was that was the great thing. And you know, I, I love doing my job. It was a very uh, the music job. It was a very uh, demanding uh, from from the time that you spend doing it. You have lots of late nights. You're traveling a lot, yeah. but you always see some great things. I mean, you know, the countless bands that I saw before they were hugely successful you know it's 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 those moments that you remember for life really and then the bands that you work with and the things and the people you meet and the places you visit and you know much the same way actually working in in whiskey is not that dissimilar you know you 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 travel you get to meet great people you know this business is built on on brilliant people you get to try some extraordinary things and i think those moments are always there where you try something that you think oh, i'll never forget where i was who i was with when i tried that it's you know I, I don't know another spirit where that that applies so much really that's funny actually we talked about this a lot like how people remember certain whiskies it's just a lot of it is through experiences it's literally that moment when you were doing something with someone you know maybe we're on top of a mountain after a hike or after you went for a swim and then you had a drink or after a gig or it's really great I th they're always different aren't they as well everyone who has that journey it's it's always slightly different to the next person but that's what keeps that conviviality and that conversation going which is why you know in whiskey it's so important to have and you mentioned there neil about some tv hosting you've hosted several big whiskey events from whiskey live to the spirit of speyside festival mm -hmm. more. this might be a difficult question to answer because you've just spoken about that kind of organic flow within your career but is there a, an ask aspect of your your job now whether it be the writing or presenting side or you know is there a favorite aspect of your job at the moment oh it's a good question that um do you know i i think there's nothing quite like meeting a group of people or doing it hosting an, an event or a tasting or actually a festival is is always good fun um and i think seeing the reaction on people's faces you know of course you know pandemic wise it's very difficult to do that in person. And I never quite got the same sort of sense of enjoyment doing things 
virtually. But I think going out and hosting an event when you can interact with people and you can, you know, you're there trying that whiskey sometimes for the first time with with a group of people there really is nothing like that it's like doing a gig so hosting sort of big events it could be uh we i hosted very recently the um the campbelltown malts festival which was a great day um and you know you're on the main stage sort of i did a cocktail thing we were doing various other things as well um it was just lovely to see the sense of camaraderie in whiskey i think and that that's something that's very it's easy to overlook that actually but i think yeah. actually when you're in that moment with people and you spend time afterwards and people come up to you and say oh you know i totally get what you're saying about that whiskey or have you tried this or you know they give you another opinion it's you're always learning with this and i think that's the thing i always take is every day is a school day for me no matter how much of a you know i've been yeah. doing this for, for 20 years now there's a point where you're still always learning and no, I learned that very much from 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 my my dear friend Charlie McLean. I think there's always a point where, you know, he's no question that one of the world's greatest authorities on whiskey. But you know, every day is a school day for him. There's always something that he hasn't tried, and it's just how you broaden your horizons with that. I love that the sharing and connections that come with it. And Inca and I were actually invited to the Campbelltown Malts Festival. Couldn't go, and we had terrible FOMO. There yeah. were tear, there were tears and starters <laughs> at the time, but even more oh, so no. hearing about it. So I want to tell you it was terrible, and you really yeah. didn't miss anything. But actually, no, it was great, and you missed it. Missed a really good yeah, event. we absolutely missed out. <laughs> Our next question was about the Malls Festival. You teamed up with Glen Scotia and they asked you to do this kind of music with yes. the thing project. So would you yeah. tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, it, it's, it's I would say hand on heart, it's no question that the, the, the most fun, entertaining and, and exciting thing I've, I think I've done so far in, in working in whiskey and bringing sort of two worlds together which are very important to me one obviously whiskey and the other one music and yeah heal to it, that yeah no, exactly let's do more of this i think it's yeah. it's you know these these intersections are great and one of the things i'd always wanted to do was uh is record the sounds of a distillery and but in a really detailed way so you know we've all done videos and the sound of the still house or the washbacks bubbling away or you know the filling store or whatever but i thought if we could if i could go to a place and really do a high quality recording of all this sort of process and then try and team up with a a, a musical partner as well and bring this to life in almost song form then uh it would be a great project and I was chatting to, to, to Nick Bradley, actually, great guy at uh, Glen Scotia, one of the brand managers there, um, who shares a lot of my passion with both whiskey and music. And we sort of formulated this this plan to go up last November, it was actually, uh, for a week. And I took a really great piece of equipment, so a special microphone, actually. It's called a binaural microphone. And what it does, it look, actually looks like a human head. So it's kind of the same dimensions and same shape and uh, I guess weighs the same as a human head. I, I can't say I've weighed many human heads, but it's 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 all intense purposes. It's like that, like a human head. But you have microphones in the ears and you can sit this in various locations and it will record everything as if you were in the room uh, there listening to those sounds. So the proximity and distance away and um, where things were in the room as well. So I, so I did this with a, a great friend of mine, Dean Honer, who's a, um, a successful record producer. And we teamed up with a, a wonderful folk uh, singer-songwriter called Jenny Sturgeon uh, from uh, the Shetland Islands. 
And so we all went up, started recording all these incredible sounds that you hear in distilleries. So it's, again, so the sound of the still house, the bubbling of the washbacks, all these different sort of little bits of conversations, the sound of the starlings nesting in the warehouse, in the Dunnish warehouse, and stuff that you probably hear every day if you work there. You might not notice if you go on a tour, but actually are integral to the location. And so we took those sounds away and we ended up writing a song together called uh, Copper Heart, which uh, is basically charts that journey from a lyrical and a sort of sonic aspect of Campbelltown, the rise and fall of the region. Um, obviously, many years ago, sort of the turn of the, the century, it was really a whiskey powerhouse. It was kind of you know the, the location where lots of whiskey was, was being exported from. You had, I think, must be nearly 40 distilleries uh, at one point. Now you only have three, really. And it's, it's that sort of rise and fall, but rise again of the region as a whiskey uh, powerhouse. And we wanted to sort of try and say bring this to life through through song, um, and that then was pressed onto a vinyl. The B side of which was a, a twenty minute walk through the distillery using sound. So if you aren't lucky enough to get to visit the distillery, uh, you can stick this record on, pour yourself a dram of Glen Scotia, or put a pair of headphones on, and be transported back almost from the malt being delivered to a finished whiskey being poured on a beach with um, the, the distillery manager, Ian. And it's that whole journey that it, it really takes you on. So yeah, it's it's been an incredible project to work on. Amazing. Sounds so incredible and so detailed and just well thought out. Thank and you. The, no, it's been and wonderful. And the finished pro like product for people that haven't heard it, we would strongly encourage our listeners to check it out. It's really beautiful. Jenny's got such a wonderful voice and, again, an incredible person to work with uh, to to sort of sit down with um, the distillery, some of the, the staff there and to get their stories and then a couple of historians as well. And you know, local people that live in Campbelltown, that was really um, what, what she was trying to do was to sort of get the lyrical content uh, from the perspective of people that live there and their stories and interweave that into this sort of beautiful uh, folk track so it's acoustic guitar and harmonium but then the backing track is made up of rhythms of casks being hit and sort of sounds of uh of I'd say the washbacks again and mostly frequencies that we sort of made into into notes and into sounds and so everything you hear is is basically the sound of the distillery because you obviously spend a lot of time there and focusing on all these different sounds and noises. So did you hear any ghostly noises? Because in <laughs> episode 53, we told the tale of the ghost uh, at Glen Scotia, who was the previous owner who died in mysterious ways. So we were just wondering like, if you, if you happen to hear any kind of, got, got any kind of vibe. Now you say that, that's funny to know, because there was a couple of moments where things just weren't quite expected started to happen we got yeah we did get certain almost very weird frequencies that we didn't expect to come through actually and then things would flicker and they wouldn't quite work as well as we'd expected suddenly something would go off and through no reason amazing but then it would you know start working again perfectly and i know i'd put it down to sort of technical sort of glitchery but Actually, now you say that there were there were a couple of moments like that. There's there's no human explanation to why yeah. we're getting this or why this isn't working or why it's suddenly come back on. So well, it is said that he, he's kind of 
more like a e- slightly evil spirit. Could make sense that he's interfered and all this. Well, perhaps, yeah. Well, he tried his best at one occasion to to stop it working, but we, uh, the, I think, the good spirits, the uh, the angels in the room, um, <laughs> who were, yeah, they suddenly came to our rescue there and and helped us make it all work again. But yeah, I, that's a good story. I didn't know that. Wow, nice. You've mentioned about your career in music and being in bands. So could you share a little bit about what type of music you know you would normally play or or maybe what genre you came from or perhaps you've played lots? We would love to know more. Yeah, I mean, I I sort of I play um, synthesizers mostly. It's in guitars, so I, I've I've been mostly quite old stuff actually. So I'm influenced a lot by 1960s, 1970s soundtracks, uh, films. Um, I play, I, I guess, a lot of guitar, sort of you'd say indie rock as well, I guess. But I, I, my my real passion has been creating sort of sonic soundscapes of things as well. And I have a studio here in London and I've been doing music for, it could be, you know, little bits of adverts or it could be for um, it sort of plays or, you know, pieces of music that you'd have as uh, instrumental music. So I do do bits of that for, for various different projects as well. And it's been an interesting thing to work with with sound particularly um from a i i guess a vintage perspective i, I love the sort of the, the music of john barry particularly and uh there's a, there's a great composer called uh lello schifrin actually from the 1960s and 1970s he did the music for mission impossible so those those kind of very very you'd know those songs mm-hmm. through virtue of hearing them so many times and i, I got obsessed with that kind of almost quite modernist jazz actually as well um i, I know i'm not a at all a very good jazz musician i can play guitar and piano reasonably well but i, I was more about sort of creating sounds from scratch using synths and and actually that that whole thing of going somewhere and recording sounds and making them into a, a, a something musical as well so it's what's called music congress actually going out and recording a sound but then it could be an everyday sound but then you make that musical uh in some way or rhythmical and it, you can form a backing track with that so i do that kind of thing quite a lot uh like life around you becoming the music. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's oh, um, amazing. I re- watched a really good video actually quite recently about uh, Billie Eilish and um, her brother uh, Phineas. How when they were recording Bad Guy, there was a sound of you don't know this actually at all when you hear it, but when they explain it, it makes total sense. There's a rhythmic sound that comes in in the chorus, and it sounds like uh, hi hats, uh, you know, rhythmic percussive hi hats, and it turns out it was. In Australia, when they were touring there, they had um, the sound of a, a level crossing. So cross a normal level crossing. You have beeps, I think, in this country. And then uh, in Australia, you have this weird rhythmic sound that comes out the sort of box there, at the, the set of lights. And they loved it. So they they recorded it on their phone. And that then became the, 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 the sort of rhythmic sound on Bad Guy. And I was like, wow. That's again, I love those kind of happy yeah. accident moments. Yeah, and linked again to like the memory and experience of that and bringing it in. Totally. And yeah. Something um, I kind of, because we both love music, and one of our episodes featured Black and American Whiskey, the Metallica mm. Whiskey, and spoke oh, to yeah. the master distiller that talked about the concept of sonic enhancement. 
Metallica being blasted in at the <laughs> distillery level. And we wondered your thoughts on that sort of sure. potential vibration. And I love that. It. No, I, yeah. I think I'm all for that. I mean, I think actually there's some science behind it, which, you know, is is quite sound, I think. Um, you know, and again, it's getting back to that kind of, you know, the same way that terroir exists. You know, you, if you mature in whiskey by the sea or, you know, in, in a, a hot environment, it reacts differently. And I'm a firm believer that, yeah, if you agitate casks, it could be by low frequencies, which tend to work best. You're going to get wood interaction there that didn't exist if you didn't do that. So, yeah, I I mean, there was another story. um, I think the guys at at Tuthill Town in New York State, they were playing uh, quite a long time ago now, probably back end of of the the 2010s, I think 2009, 2010. They started to play quite heavyweight sort of rap music like the Wu-Tang Clan on big speakers, big bass heavy speakers into the warehouse to sort of get that vibration going and uh, look, it's till someone tells me that it's it it doesn't work, uh, I'm a firm believer that it does and again it's a great story and it's something that if you can if you can link whiskey and the the process of whiskey being crafted to something that people can take away with them it's just done such a better job. You know, we're dealing with a wonderfully crafted product here, but we rely a lot on stories and we rely again on people and their ideas and ingenuity, those things together. Suddenly you've got a magical product that transcends any boundaries, really. Going back to Glen Scotia and their whiskies, so we've been enjoying them a lot because they're quite funky, quite interesting, on both on the palate and on the nose. Mm. Um, and ex- actually later on this episode we will be sampling this year's festival release as well as the double cask rum finish oh yes great in your opinion what makes their whiskey so special and do you have a favorite release from them i think it's a lovely question um i think there's something inherent in i'll, I'll look at campbelltown first section and we'll look at maybe glen scotia uh in addition to that there's something about campbelltown which has you, I think you could put that whiskey, any whiskey from Campbelltown, in front of uh, a group of people, and they would know that it's there's something different going on. And I think if you if you then give that whiskey to people who maybe understand Isla whiskey a little bit, they've had you know your classic sort of brands from there, and then you give them a Campbelltown whiskey, there's a funkiness about that that just doesn't exist anywhere else in Scotland. I mean, let alone any anywhere else in the world really. And I think Glen Scotia is an embodiment of that it's got that richness it's got there's a smokiness but there's a very unusual smokiness it's kind of i often sort of have this thing of um there's an element of wooliness almost like a wet wool hessian bags to it it's quite a salty quite saline some people say maritime i think um then you're on the coast then you know someone says oh salty maritime you're there you're actually on the harbor and you put your nose back into the glass and you've got this it could be old fishing creels you know it could be lobster pops that kind of thing it's not fishy but it's got this kind of there's a it's a product of the sea and there's definitely something that i don't get that anywhere else i don't get that from an isla whiskey i don't get that from other mainland whiskies I think that's very much inherent in the whiskies that come out of there and are very pronounced in, in Glen Scotia. You know, you, you you have that in the new make spirit, you have that in the matured spirit. So it's definitely in there. And, you know, it, it I think cask influence has plays its part. You have some great first fill bourbon casks, you have some sherry, you have a couple of other things, as you mentioned, uh, into the rum cask as well, which is lovely. But then you've got that just that thing going on that exists nowhere else. And I love that. I mean, for me, if I was to pick a, 
a whiskey I love out of that range. I mean, the uh, the Victoriana, I think, is wonderful. Oh, my God. I love it's, it so much. It's, it's amazing. Great, yeah, it's a great. And again, it's that that moment we ha- we know we like to think, what, what would it be like tasting whiskey at the turn of the century, you know, or in Vic- Victorian times? And unless you're very wealthy or have an archive of ancient whiskies, it's very difficult to say, oh, hang on, let me dip into this sort of bottle from the turn of the century which you know is probably not going to be as good as it it was when it's bottled but actually going and having victoriana there i think as a recreation of of a style of whiskey it's got like coal dust notes it's got that maritime that saline thing going on i'm convinced i'm transported back there and i'm imagining myself you know sort of on the harbor there what it would have been like and Campbelltown back then was a very different place to how it is today you know there was a lot more it's a hive of activity and industry which it's you know it's it's returned to that now is is starting to become apparent but that whiskey yeah i i, I think this it's a truly wonderful creation that definitely we both agree don't we Anka? yeah we can't wait to visit we're hopefully gonna go later on this year so it's a strange one, actually. You have a, a, a quite a microclimate there, actually. So I'm very lucky. Every time I visit it, it, the weather has been exceptional. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, you'll get like a gale blowing in, and and then it's gone again. And it's lovely and sunny, and the palm trees are there in the the sort of harbour. And you're like, this is a weird place, you know. You've got yeah, the Gulf Stream, I think, which is it, yeah. it runs sort of nearby, and it's like nowhere else. It really is. I I love it. I I yeah. I I can't. I'm going back again quite soon, actually. And I I, I every time I look forward to it it's just there's always something new to discover there and you can feel the passion when you hear you talk about it which is lovely we're excited to go back yeah. but even more so now <laughs> and sure you've visited lots of distilleries perhaps around the world are there mm. any kind of standout you know moments special memories or anywhere you would like recommend that people visit Sure. I think, um, I mean, you'd have to put Isla on that, that list as, as a must go to. And actually sort of almost going full circle back to my career in music. When I left um, working at Warner Brothers in 2007, the first thing I did actually was I booked a trip to Isla. And this was May, actually, May 2007. I booked a hotel there. It was the McCree Hotel uh, for me and my friend. We'll, we'll get the ferry. We'll drive um, from Glasgow to Kennecray. We got the ferry over. And I didn't even know that the, the the Isla Festival was on. You know, this is the thing. I hadn't done any research. I thought, got there. I was like, hang on, there's a whiskey festival. This is, this is great. And, you know, it was walk, <laughs> kind of walking around the distilleries and going, Wow, there's loads of cool stuff. Is it like this every day? And people say, no, no, there's a you know we're an annual festival on. You come at the right time, and you know I, it was one of those magic moments of of I'll never forget that trip because mm. one moment we we drove up to it's called the Kildalton Cross actually. So if you're down on the South Shores, you go past uh, Lefroig, uh, Lagavulin, and Ardberg, and you carry on past there. And you can drive up and there's sort of some ruins of an old sort of church. And there's a thing called the Cross of Kildalton. There's a small beach on the right hand side as you drive up. I, um, I shouldn't, shouldn't be telling you, I'm not even sure you're allowed to go on it. Actually, but you've got the car. <laughs> um, it's all palm trees and white sandy beaches. And like, this is what? Wow, this is, you know, the sort of west coast of Scotland. And it was really sunny and hot. And we were, look, me and my friend, lying on this beach, drinking a whiskey, thinking this. Yeah, this is proper paradise now. <laughs> This'll do. Yeah, the, the second we said that, it immediately some clouds came up and it started raining. <laughs> and it was this mad four seasons in a day that you get. But 
it didn't yeah. diminish our enjoyment. It was it was kind of funny to sort of experience this extreme that you have there of you know like the Caribbean, and then suddenly out of nowhere a gale and 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 sideways rain and wind, and you know, we just <laughs> stack it back to the car and uh, and and head it off. I mean, Isla is one of those locations that if you were to describe what Scotch, the essence of Scotch whiskey is in a in a, a sentence or in a word, you'd say Isla because. You know, people would go and they suddenly they're that bit closer to it and I kind of feel Campbelltown is becoming a bit more of that too you know the mainland of Scotland there's some wonderful places now I think some of the more sort of smaller craft distilleries that are cropping up um, I like uh, Ardnamurkinen and I like mm. some of these there's some of the whiskies that are being done in a much more you would say traditional craft sense and mm. uh, Glengarry is a wonderful place to visit as well where else do I love oh I mean Actually, then you can go all the way up sort of on the, the East Coast. So go and visit Glenmorangie. And it's one of those, yeah. again, you know, we all know Glenmorangie as a as a well-known whiskey brand. But I think when you go and you see it as a location, again, it puts a lot into perspective. And I think it removes a lot of snobbery that people have about whiskey brand. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get wrapped up in, oh, I, I must only drink single casts, very hard to find bottles of so and so. But actually the, the 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 great brands that you see everywhere are there for a very good reason and yes. have endured and have a legacy because they're all bloody great, you know. And I think you go you go and spend time visiting some of these places and you realise what makes them as exciting as uh, and as accessible to people. And that, you know, it's a very humbling moment, I think, to yeah. to look at the longevity with them. So Lots to discover. That's why whiskey is such a wonderful thing. Just always something new and something different. Um, Actually, how do you like to drink your whiskey? I am currently drinking a, uh, in fact, I've got two whiskeys in front of me. Actually, I've got a neat whiskey, which is, I've got a Glen Scotia 21-year-old, actually, in a a nose and glass, which takes me right back there. All those wonderful, say, the saline notes, the um, that cast-driven thing that's coming through as well. But, yeah, um, but I love highballs as well. I love. I mean, for me, going to Japan actually for the first time really blew again blew my mind. Mark two um, mm-hmm. about whiskey. Trying a highball in a bar there, so uh, or what's called a miswari actually. So that's with still water highball with with sparkling water, but a really nice generous measure over good quality ice. Probably a twist of lemon zest on the top. I mean, that's just. Anyone that tells you they don't like whiskey, there is a way of getting them involved in whiskey, and it's it's the highball. There's no question. It's it's yeah. it's such a refreshing, effervescent drink. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a snob at all. I, I wouldn't say don't mix your whiskey with anything. I, you know, I've, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gu- guilty of mixing 25 year old with single malts into really nice cocktails. So you know, I'd be struck down somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's for me, it's the art of experimenting. If something tastes good. You know, like a chef in a way, chefs don't use terrible ingredients. They they use the yeah. best things they can get their hands on, and they they make lovely things happen with them. So, for me, it's the same thing. If I if if I love a taste and aroma, I'll explore it in different ways for for sure. We recently discovered Larkfire sparkling water, which is amazing with whiskey because you can really mm. taste the whiskey through. It doesn't add any salty notes or anything. 
It's I think it's good. good. I know it's good that I think actually that gim. If you're making a Scotch highball, it, it works really well. That it's it's definitely uh, again a flavour of 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 its location. And okay, if you, if you if you go off to Japan and you have a highball there, it's Japanese sparkling water, and it's it's much it's very different actually. It's much more mineral led. It's no high two highballs are the same. I think that I think actually it shines a light on how water is very important in whiskey. Yeah. Actually, at the end of the day, so Neil is. That a potential title for a book? No two highballs are the same. Well, do you know what? If it wasn't before, it certainly is now. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the story of my my journey into whiskey. Oh, yeah. I, I, let's let's come back to come come back to that in in about eighteen months when it's out. Yeah, and we can say. Imagine, remember that time when we were talking on the exactly. on the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we always ask our guests at the end. Um, about their dream dram companion. So we are looking for a famous person, dead or alive, that you would like to share a dram with and you would like to know which dram. Okay, yeah, I love that question. Um, God, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Dead or alive. Um, I mean, if I could be so bold as to choose a dead and an alive person. Um, I, I, if, if, it, if it were, if it would, if it were dead, I would say, I, I guess someone like Hemingway, I think a literary great would be wonderful to drink with or yeah, some, someone in, on, along those lines to go and see how they enjoy uh, a whiskey, to, to, to have that conversation and be party to the, how they work as a, as a, as a literary giant would be amazing. Um, Someone who's alive, you know, I'd, do you know what I would love to hang out with, um, and it hasn't happened yet, is Matt Berry, um, the actor, uh, musician as well. He's uh, an extraordinary man. He's, you know, he's, he's, write, he's writing, his, his characters are brilliant. Um, I'm a huge fan. And he's actually a collector of vintage synthesizers like myself. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, I'd like to have a, a drinking a great scotch with him. Um, he, he plays, is a, a great character called Toast of London, actually, Stephen Toast, uh, who lives in Soho, not unlike myself, actually, when I'm in Soho. And I often, yeah, wonder what it'd be like to go out drinking with, uh, with, with Stephen Toast, the character, but then Matt Berry, the, uh, the, the actor as well. Um, I'm sure it will be a lot of fun. This way. needs to happen then. That yeah. guy's alive. Well, if, if, ever, if ever Matt's <laughs> listening to this podcast or if anyone yeah. knows, then look, I'm right here and there's a conversation about whiskey and vintage synthesizers waiting to happen <laughs> there. So, uh, and I'll supply, I can supply the whiskey, you know. So, yeah, let's do it. Amazing. <laughs> and this again, we're, we're fans of the tough questions. If you had to pick three sipping songs to go along with the evening, Ooh, what good. comes to mind? Oh, what a good question. Uh, three sipping songs. Okay, nice. Um, the first thing I would pick would be, and I, there's a bit of a, not a long story, but um, there's a song called Do the Scotch, actually, by a band called The Olympics. It's an old sort of, uh, I, I guess, sort of motown soul song. And <laughs> years ago now, maybe about 2010, Joel and I made a video uh, of us doing a dance because it's pre-TikTok. I mean, we were like the original kind of TikTokers here. <laughs> we did this dance um, to this song. We like choreographed dance. So I'll have to, I'll send you it at some point. And it was to this, this song, Do the Scotch. And it's, I mean, it's great. Go and check it out. Google it. It's brilliant. Um, it's brilliant. A drink, but this ain't the same. Scotch, 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 scotch. And it's, we yeah, choreographed this whole dance. If that doesn't set your evening off, 
with a bang, nothing will. So oh that my God, Enka Lindley and the Dan. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was sending it, and it, it was we did it in two takes, and it was it was such a laugh. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to at some point resurrect that dance because it was a lot of fun to do. Oh, we need um, to get like a trending reel going, like yeah, first, and then Let's we make it happen. yours and get that going. Bring it back. Bring the scotch back. There we go. Yes. Um, that would be definitely my first choice. Um, second choice, what would it be? I think probably. Do you know who I love? Actually, is a band called Air, French band, and um, they had a yes, wonderful record. Sexy boy. It's sexy boy. Yeah, exactly. The album that came off Moon Safari um, is a really, it's a really wonderful listener. I, I, again, you can put that on, and it's one of those records that I mean, I would never skip any track on on that record or ever get tired of it. It came out in 1998, I think, uh, or maybe maybe slightly later, but it was uh, certainly twenty odd years ago, and it's got this real soul to it. It's again, a soundtrack uh, of a summer and I can see sitting outside with some great people again, putting that record on, drinking highballs, you know, of any kind. And you could, you know, you can do that anywhere. And I have done actually in the past, I put that on in Cameltown or Isla, great group of friends and you're just there in the moment and it's, it's perfect. So I, I, I maybe not choose sexy boy, but I choose a song from that album and my final one, what would it be? I'm going to choose another French artist, and this makes me sound terribly pretentious, actually. Um, there's a, a, a singer you will have heard of called Serge Gainsbourg. There's a record, again, very famous French singer-songwriter, um, Lothario-type from, uh, I guess, the sort of 60s and 70s. He was best known. There's a soundtrack record he made called Histoire de Melody Nelson, and it was one of those moments I put this on in, I've done put it on in hotels or I put it on whenever I've had a really, really mind blowing, life changing whiskey. I put this on and it's, there's a song, uh, it, it's about seven minutes long. It's got big strings and it's, it's very laid back. It's in its approach and it's just a perfect drinking companion. And if you have a great whiskey, that's really rich and complex and has some age and some real character, I'll often put that record on at home and just you, you'll lose seven, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it may be, with that record on in the background, just nosing and tasting. And it, it, for me, it certainly hi- highlights the, 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 the complexity in a whiskey. Yeah, I've never really found another piece of music that does that the same. But again, it's, you know, we're all unique and different and everyone has different songs that they love drinking to. So, uh, you know, may, may those pairings continue, I think. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a wonderful many minutes, many good whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And maybe one time we will meet in Campbelltown. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll go and uh, we'll go and do a tour around and um, maybe may make a highball. We can put air on and uh, <laughs> hopefully the sun will be out. Yeah. The plan is in place. Excellent. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Neil. Lovely to meet you. Dram on fire. First up, we have Double Cask Rum Finish, which is a sibling to their Double Cask release. This one has spent some time in Guy Winnie's. Is that how you say Guy Guy Winnie's? 
I don't know, Guyanese? I'm going for Guyanese. <laughs> yeah, that and sounds Guyanese right. Guyanese Demerara rum barrels at 46% ABV. And this rum finish, it was inspired by Campbelltown's Victorian past as one of the most internationally connected ports, like quite the hub for moving and shaking, and had trade routes that spanned the globe. So records go as far back as 1815, before Glen Scotia's founding, and that shows that casks of rum were present and for sale in the town way back then. Pretty cool. Yeah, I love that whole, like always the references to the Victorian past, like the Victoriana that we just mentioned earlier with yeah. Neil. So it's pretty cool. So this very one was cool. super pale yellow, very light in color. Very light. And this is an inappropriate thing to say, but I thought like quite hydrated urine color. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I just, that was my first thought. But then I thought like, oh, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but yeah. now because you said I can admit. Me too. But exactly I've had- yeah, I've had a few drams and I wasn't going to see it, but I thought it's not it, because it does. Yeah, it does. On the nose. So at first I was getting like sugary oat crumple, you know, like the crumple top that you put on like oh, apple yeah, crumple, yeah. sugary cinnamony oat. Um, then I was getting apricots with whipped cream, but then with air, it was giving me more like melted vanilla ice cream, loads of coconut. And now when I just stuck my nose in it, I was getting buttery popcorn. Oh, nice notes. I actually, on first nosing, got a salted popcorn, but salted popcorn from a distance, not nose in the bag, salted popcorn. Mm-hmm. So I can absolutely, you know, that kind of buttery popcorniness. Then I got a wee bit sweeter, almost like ripe, juicy mango, and found the sweeter notes coming in, a kind of golden syrup. I think it's changed as I'm nosing uh, the glass now. and Yeah, it does evolve, doesn't it? It does evolve. But I'm even getting sort of quite a, a mixture, even maybe grassy notes. But there is definitely something funky yeah. going on again. And that's why I was thinking the buttery popcorn. But I don't know. The palette, though. Whoa. What was going on there? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So hit me with your okay. cast notes. So perfumed. Like super duper floral perfume. You know, when you spray perfume and then you get it in your mouth a little bit. Yep, there was like elderflower, there was rose, I was getting pear drops. And then I was hoping that like, because I don't like floral, like I just don't like floral and my drinks, I just can't stand it. So it was too much for me. So with air, it became more like soapy, like bubble bath, you know, when you can get like this really kind of funky smell, you know, bubble. Oh, lush. Are you talking about the shop Yeah, like lush. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So like all those weird kind of things that crumble and then your bubble bath gets all smelly and but still kind of that kind of perfumed vibe. Non-lush nores, that's a highly perfumed bath bomb. You can, get, yeah. you can actually smell the store lush from way down the street. Yes. And then it was kind of giving me some kind of salty, fishy water. Slightly smoky mackerel. Slightly smoky mackerel? No way. Yeah. Uh, did you get any perfumed notes or anything? I, did, I wasn't getting anything like rummy. Well, it's interesting you say that because it's not, it wasn't rummy like I would have imagined. You know, although I'd got the ripe mango on the nose, I found the fruit aromas way less tropical, much sharper flavors like sharp Welsh orchard fruits. Then I was getting a kind of malted fruit loaf. And then I was like, is this slightly peated? Because I almost got like burnt 
charred bananas, but not tropical rummy bananas, just something weird on the barbecue. So I found it really surprising. That's the thing. That's why I was going for the smoky mackerel type of thing Yay. because I was getting that kind already that kind of salty fishy water thing going on. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It has kind of some sort of slight hint of, I don't know, maybe it's the toasted barrel. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, some toasted wood. And on the finish, I was getting kind of like ground coffee beans and mildly tobacco-y. But then I didn't know if I was just transporting myself and my unconscious mind to the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah I think maybe on the finish it's a slightly more tropical and maybe a little bit of that mango and some pineapple in there mm. but it's still very perfumed and like I have to say like on the nose I was I liked it on the palate I just that perfumed I was so shocked how perfumed it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I like the journey like it's not some it's probably not a dram that I will return to but I like the journey from the floral to this, you know, bubble bar to the fishy water and stuff. So it's kind of funky. It's giving so much, isn't it? It's not your predictable rum cask finish. It was the dram that kept on like, you know, shape shifting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so next one is the Campbelltown Malts Festival release, which is lightly peated 11-year-old single malt. And this is finished for 12 months in white port casks. Mm-mm-mm. Yes, I was so excited to try this because we're obviously slightly behind everyone else and everyone else probably tried this already, but hey-ho. Good things come to those who wait. How did you find this bad boy on the nose? Well, first of all, colour. Um that gold light rusty maybe yeah reasonably dark ish yep okay this one is giving me the Glen Scotia vibe that I know so it was first it started with mushrooms on brown toast that kind of funky stuff that I get sometimes with Campbell mm-hmm. Town with the 15 year old and so on mm-hmm. um canned canned peaches you know when they're in that sugary syrup that kind of peach mm-hmm. and then it was like a dying ashy bonfire on the beach like on the bubbles oh when you get smoke in your hair like when you have a fireplace in a house or somewhere you get like that smoky hair and then you move your head and you get that kind of whiff of smoke oh nice I really didn't get the smoke at all so I'm super intrigued to hear of your smoke on the nose because I was expecting it to be much more smoky you know how you mentioned pear drops with the last tram I got pear drops and poached pears on the nose with this one and then I could get that funky outdoor fermented silage but it was a butterscotchy creamy silage and I was like butterscotchy silage whipped cream then I was like oh but there's some wet wellington boots for non-uk people that wellington boots like a rubber galosh right a rubber boot so wet rubber boots i got as well but i can't get any of that now i'm back in the glass oh i can get the whipped cream can you definitely like it started very strong on the mushroom and the brown toast but now it's kind of like uh you have to kind of nose it a little bit more to discover it's going on the back bench again as i'm nosing now with irata i'm finding it a bit sweeter Maybe some kind of treacly sweet notes now that I didn't get before. Well, apart from the butterscotch. Mm. I'm getting slightly more citrus as well. God, people are like, they're just saying words. They're just saying (laughs) all the things. What about Mm. the palate? What what went on for you? In fact, excuse me, I need another sip. Yeah. I feel like on the first sip that Pete bites you, comes at you. So 
when they say it's lightly peated, I just I would like to know what the PPN was because it's quite peaty. Do you feel like saying lies? Yeah, it lies. <laughs> <laughs> or just maybe I haven't had a peated dram for a while, but yeah, I feel like there is. It's quite strong. Did you find it peaty on the palate on first sip or with yeah. ear? Like okay. instantly, like oh, okay, okay, hit you in the face. That salty peat, like I was then getting the sea salt. I was getting rye bread, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. a little bit stale rye bread. Mm-hmm. I was getting salted almonds, some like a little bit a touch of fruitiness. I feel like that there's some sort of warming thing still left on the top of my palate. Mine has changed. I've just sipped it there and absolutely got that hit of smokiness. Whereas I actually didn't get any smokiness on the palate on first sip, which was kind of confusing. I was getting the pears poached in wine this time, but with a cinnamon and ginger spice. Then I was getting like sauerkraut, that fermented cabbage. Then I was oh, like, oh, I love it. <laughs> then I was like, no, it's digestive biscuit sweetness. Oh no, there's like a little bit of a sour rhubarb. And I was like, whoa, I mm. felt I was kind of like pinballing a little bit in the flavors. Rhubarb is a good one as well. That kind of sour rhubarb. I'm definitely yeah. getting that now that you mentioned it. Like sweet but sour. Yeah, again, this is really evolving drab. Yeah. And I feel this, I imagine this generating lots of discussion, you know, at that Campbelltown meet that again is giving me the, I wouldn't go as far as to say deep-seated resentment I couldn't go, but that's a little <laughs> bit strong. But, you know, it's a shame. And now on the finish, I feel as if I've licked a charred barrel. I feel it very charcoaly on the finish, but with a side portion of sweetness. Such a contrast between these drums. They're so different on the palate. Very interesting. I really like the nose on both of them. And what about the palate for the white port? Did you enjoy that? I enjoy it. It's maybe a little bit, I don't know, it's slightly, like, it's a little bit flat. I don't know. I don't want to be like, I don't know how to say it. Like, because it's quite uh, salty. Like, I'm a little bit struggling to find. Spit it out. It's just, it's not coming to me straight away. Like with the other one, I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, it's like taking mm-hmm. me here and there and so on. But I still enjoy it. I do enjoy it. Okay. But I, I think maybe I was surprised by the level of peat because I wasn't expecting it. Be so yeah. Ooh, that makes super, sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. I I enjoyed both way more the, you know, the malt festival, white port finish, much preferred that. Um, and I feel it's like a dram that keeps on giving. I feel it multi-layered. I feel I would need to like sip away, sip away. Oh, poor me having to do all yeah. this research, but to get all the different layers. and Yeah, good thing we both have a bottle each, so we can sip away and sip away and sip away. Thanks, Glen Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> It made me even more intrigued to go. What is the the witchcraft slash tomfoolery slash alchemical genius that's going on here? Neil said that, you know, even in the new make, you get all that funky stuff. So I'm really excited to go and try the new make. And I feel like once we've been later on, hopefully this year, so then we will definitely feature Victoriana and put it into words why we all love it so much. <gasps> and the angels will sing. Yes. And we will find the ghost. Exactly. All things. <laughs> all things. Yeah. We're promising a lot. 
Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact. So if you're ever visiting Campbelltown, make sure to look for remains and memories of the old Scotch whiskey distilleries around town. So for example, near Glen Scotia, you can find a little piece of history as Benmore Distillery used to be located near there. And Benmore opened in 1868 on Saddle Street and you can see parts of the distillery name on the archway nearby. Take your selfies there, people. Now you know. You've been listening to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed our guest, Neil, as much as we did. And next week, oh, extreme excitement. We are featuring Glencadam Distillery. If you haven't followed us on Instagram already, make sure to do so at whiskeysisters.podcast on X. This is so weird. Like, almost wanted to say Twitter about X. X. What do, can I just say, like, what do you think of the X? I don't like it. Twitter, I like the wee bird. I know, me too. X is rubbish. It looks really cheap and yeah, I think that Elon's at it. I think he's a bit mental. And if you're it's listening to this, Elon, I'm not backing down. I think you're at it. <laughs> so on X, follow us, follow us at Whiskey Sisters. And Facebook at Whiskey Sisters Podcast. Nice to be back, Inca. <laughs> Lost for words. You're not even sure. You're like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Meh. There's a heat wave. I'm melting. Yeah, right, uh, listeners. You heard that pause here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a saying in Finnish that silence is the sign of agreement. <laughs> awesome. I love it. There you go. <laughs> May your class be full. And your dram on fire. <laughs>